Hi, welcome to the Making the Media podcast. I'm producer Rachel Haberman stepping up to the mic while host Craig Wilson takes a well-deserved break. We are gearing up for season two. In the meantime, we are re-releasing a few of our favorite episodes that you might have missed from earlier this year. This episode with Charlotte Eimer from the BBC covers a topic maybe you feel like you know a little too well after the last year and a half, change management. But we promise you it's a timeless topic that truly transcends the pandemic. Well worth a re-listen. We'll be back with new episodes on Monday, November 29th, so make sure you subscribe to get them in your feed. And in the meantime, enjoy. Hi, thanks for joining me for the latest episode of the Making the Media podcast. My name's Craig Wilson. One thing almost everyone in the news industry has had to do over the last year or so is adapt to change. The pandemic prompted a major re-evaluation of office-based working, with teams across the world moving quickly to work from home or work remotely. But change has been a constant in broadcasting for decades, and that shows no signs of abating. If anything, it's accelerating. And what if your task is to drive not just a temporary change, but to effect lasting, transformative change within a news organisation? That's the role of Charlotte Eimer, the head of change for BBC News and Current Affairs in the UK, and I'm delighted to say she's my guest for this episode. She comes from a journalistic background, And I began by asking her whether she felt that was an advantage when it came to delivering change within the organisation. I do think it helps. I mean, it certainly helps when you're working in um, the newsroom to understand what the pressures of the newsroom are and to be able to... um, to, to really be able to understand the challenges that the change is posing for people. But I think being a journalist is also helpful because I'm sure we will say this repeatedly as we talk, so much of change is about communication. I mean, really, it's about people and it's about communication and being able to tell a story, paint a picture, create a vision, Um, and really communicate effectively, ask the right questions, know when to listen. Those are all really core change skills, as well as being important skills for journalists. So when it comes to to change and and the beginning of a change project, what, what do you think are the key things that you have to consider at that point, almost regardless of what the actual project is? I think you've got to do some heavy lifting up front, really. You've got to work hard to really arrive at a clear vision. Um, You've got to know what the changes you're trying to make and why you're trying to make it. Um, And and I think, you know, really, in the past, people talked a lot about the burning platform being essential for change, but you can also um, give people a real vision for the future that inspires them around something you know that they're passionate about 
Um, it doesn't always have to be stemming from, you know, financial catastrophe or, or some other disaster. Um, but really, that's, you know, that is step one in all change. Um, and when you're doing that, to also keep in mind your audience or your customers or your users, depending on your organisation, and bring them in and collaborate with them to understand what good looks like. Um, and I think, you know, that's got to be the first step. So when it comes to that in initial process and having having clarity of, of vision, um, how much of that is then driven by you as a change manager or by the organisation in which you're trying to change? The people who are leading that, where do you think the, the, the balance has to come? Well, you know, that's a great question. Um, often you start working in change with a board or a set of stakeholders before any sort of change project or initiative really exists. And, and, and you're there facilitating um, a group of people to help draw out what that change is um, and, and what it looks like. And so you get in very early and you play quite an important role. but but it's very important to guard against the idea that you're there to do the change. You know, I mean, at the end of the day, change is led by the leaders of the organization. You know, we all sort of follow the lead of the person we work for. Um, so change cascades down from the top. You know, you've got to walk the walk. You've got to embody the change. Change can also bubble up from 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 teams innovating on the ground. It, it's not a one way street. But if you're really trying to lead a, a major change, then um, you know it, it's the leaders of the organisation who need to own that change and, and embody that change and, and drive it. And and a change expert is facilitating bringing tools, techniques, uh, helping with um, coordinating and driving that change. But but really, you're equipping the business you're working in to make the change. You're not doing it to them. The BBC is a very large organisation, but do you think the principles apply regardless of the scale of the organisation that you're involved with? Yeah, I mean, the BBC itself is huge, but often change projects happen in small pockets of it. So you can have very wide scale change, a corporate initiative, or you can be working in quite a small team or department. Um, and I would say, you know, that the principles apply to any change, even if your change is to, you know, redecorate your home. You still need to be clear about which areas are priorities and what your budget is and what you're setting out to achieve and what your timeline is. And you know, who's going to live in it afterwards and how it needs to work for them. So in all change, I, I think it's key, yeah. You mentioned earlier on about, you know, uh, coming from a journalism background and understanding how the newsroom works is, is important. Um, so one of the key areas I think people perhaps who don't work in news don't really understand it, it's quite how complex news is. Um, it's something that's always on the go. Uh, it never it never kind of stops, particularly organisations like the BBC have 24-hour news channels and everything else. So are there unique challenges about news that make implementing change more complex? I would always say yes, of course. <laughs> um, it is a very complex environment. Uh, a buzzword in change at the moment is, you know, you hear a lot of people talking about VUCA, the VUCA environment, which is stands for volatile, uncertain, complex and ambiguous. And that is intended to describe the situation of sort of constant unpredictable change 
that is the norm definitely in in the media and in lots of other industries. Um, but as you say, it's also the norm when you're working in a breaking news environment and, you know, things are very complex and shifting and you're working to deadlines. So I think that does bring all sorts of challenges um, that are specific to the news environment, trying to... Um, pull people away from from their day job is very challenging you know you can't walk the news doesn't stop if you walk away from it um so that's you know just being able to take time out and 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 work with people is is a constant challenge i think that um the culture of that news environment means that people can be very very deadline focused and very often quite transactional in the way that they work because that's a requirement you've got to hit a deadline um, people can also be quite perfectionist in the way they work because you've got to be broadcast ready it's got to be perfect when it goes on air or, or, or when you publish it or, or whatever it is you're working on and that also makes change difficult because in change I think sort of striving for perfection is the enemy of progress and you need to get out there and get started and, and see how things go. So there are definitely specific challenges to that complex environment and the culture within it. We've spoken to various people on the podcast and obviously over the course of the last you know, 15, 16 months, there's been a huge amount of change because of the nature of, of what happened with, with COVID. And some people feel that that's perhaps made staff more willing to adopt things that perhaps they wouldn't have considered before. You know, we're doing this working from home, uh, for, for example, which a lot of people perhaps wouldn't have done before. So I wonder if you could reflect a little bit back on, you know, how things went through that period, maybe, you know, March, April time last year within the BBC. And then how do you think that maybe has a, lo a longer lasting effect or not on people's willingness to adapt to change? I mean, this is a fascinating conversation. How long is the podcast? You know, I could talk for hours about this. Um, I really think that crisis management and change management are not the same thing, but they are both complex and there are tools and techniques from change that can work in both situations. So, you know, the pandemic, the immediate lockdown, that crisis as we were just discussing in a way, plays to the newsroom strengths. You know, you've got this fast paced breaking story, immediate deadlines, loads of pressure, um, you know, and, and we all sort of love that in the newsroom. That's what we get off on. Change is slower paced. It doesn't always feel like that. So it's a, a different game for me. Um, I think in the pandemic, in, in BBC News, you know, we, we moved into crisis management and, and we handled that. You know, I personally think we handled it exceptionally well. You know, we took some very immediate first steps, some of which are transferable to a slower change program, um, but but not all of them. So we, you know, we empowered our decision made makers very quickly and we made them accountable and they were clear about what they had to do. We had daily incident management. We were identifying trouble areas, you know, really super fast. We set up a cadence of meetings and a clear escalation process. Um, and we really over-communicated both the process, the progress, what was going on. Um, and, you know, this all happened at lightning speed in a way, you know, moving to a remote workforce happened in about, you know, 
72 hours and often that level of change would take three years and might or might not succeed so you know once the staff were at home and the schedules were pared down um, then we moved into something that I think is more akin to change management um, and the director of news Fran Unsworth immediately sort of identified the two objectives that that were going to sort of drive us through the first lockdown um, and guide all of our actions really and that's where you you come back to that clear vision at the top of a change um, and for us those were stay on air and protect our staff and everything else fell away and I think one lesson you can take from that is that clarity of purpose really is core to change and when you have that absolute laser-like focus it's incredible what you can achieve um, but I do think there's an interesting <clears throat> conversation going on at the moment as we all start to think about hopefully some sort of return to work. And, you know, the, the truth will tell whether all of this change sticks or how quickly we actually revert to the old ways of working and everyone's back in the newsroom back in the office and you know you want to be there and you uh, and flexible working and, and working from home sort of falls away or whether some of the benefits of this really stick and I think that that's going to be you know it's going to take a bit of time to see how much of this sticks um you know there, there's lots that I could talk about operationally about how how we handled the pandemic that also I think you know in news was was fortunate that we had already got some ambition and some change plans in place to create a more remote capable if you like connected newsroom and so we were able to 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 piggyback off that and drive some really rapid change um, but we also really encouraged innovation in our teams which I I, I think is key to change in a complex environment um, and so we let people rise to the challenge. You know, how are we going to keep doing high quality broadcasting for our audiences when people need news more than ever? I mean, the news was so critical in that first lockdown more than ever. Um, how do we also keep our audiences entertained, enlightened? How do we still keep them involved with our broadcasting? Um, you know, so we had to develop suites of virtual production tools. We had to find ways to gradually return a live audience to some of our, you know, best loved radio shows. There was constant innovation going on. I think some of those changes are here to stay, um, but it will be interesting to see what sticks and, and where, you know, and where working practice reverts back. Um, because it was a crisis management response rather than a considered change program delivered over time. Yeah, I think there's, there's a couple of things to, to say around that, because I think you're, you're absolutely right. Again, speaking to other people, they were kind of making up as they went along to an extent because no one had faced this, this kind of scenario. And they have reached the point where it's going, OK, what worked, what didn't and what are the things that we want to maybe want to, to take forward? But I, I wanted to pick up on one phrase that you mentioned there. You talked about clarity of purpose. Um, and I wanted just to ask you a little bit about that when it comes to a change project. Is that, would you say, like the number one thing that, that people have to have is clarity of purpose? Because if you don't have that, then everything else is, is can be problematic. I, I, I think so. Uh, 
there is a statistic that floats around that says something like 75 or 80 percent of change programs fail um and that number seems to stay pretty constant over the years um so you know i don't know uh i don't know exactly how it's derived but it's a pretty constant uh number that you hear and i think without clarity of purpose you know the risk of failure increases quite dramatically because in my experience you know success is is when you can trace every action you do back to a clear objective so in the pandemic example you know are you doing something that's going to protect our staff are you doing something that's going to help us stay on air if you're doing something unrelated to those two things well stop because that's not going to drive the change and i think that you know that that really um is a big success factor sometimes you can see change projects where that clarity emerges over time sometimes there needs to be some um you know you get new new people coming in new thinking on the board you might get a change at the top you get some you know i've experienced a lot of change in leadership in change programs i've been involved in you know you might get two or three program sponsors you can get some pretty volatile situations where where that clarity emerges or, or shifts over time. And you can work with that, but it definitely, definitely makes things harder. And what about staff willingness to, to, to adopt change? Do you think that has changed because of what happened last year? That's also a, a really interesting debate. I think among the sort of non-change experts community, there's a feeling that, you know, look how we handled the pandemic. We're great at change. We've got it cracked now. Um, I think many change professionals might be more considered uh, about that. I, I think, you know, how you respond in a crisis is, of course, going to be different to, to how you deal with change in your day-to-day -day life. Um, there are lots of change theories about how we deal with change, you know, whether it's Maslow's hierarchy of needs and if you displace something there, how it unsettles people through change or you, the Kubler-Ross change curve, which shows how going through change is a lot like being bereaved and you move through these stages of anger and denial and depression bargaining and hopefully at some point acceptance and that may or may not be a linear process you know a crisis isn't like that a crisis hits you react and you find a new way so so I think it's um, my experience in newsrooms as well you know journalists spend their life asking difficult questions challenging looking for the propaganda looking for what isn't being said it is a tough crowd when you're trying to <laughs> to do change and there is always a sizable minority who can be very resistant very cynical um you know having said that it's human nature no one likes feeling that they're losing control of their working life or any other change that you haven't planned yourself um so i think change leaders really what change leaders need to be is emotionally intelligent and resilient um, you need to have a high awareness uh, of the people around you uh, you often have to face into you know quite powerful emotions and you have to be able to not panic you have to be comfortable with not having the answers 
you have to be able to deal with conflicts and uncertainty because they arise all the time in change. Um, and I guess there's a skill in trying to sketch out a route map so that people can manage their anxiety because there will be a period when it's uncertain. Um, so I think you have to give people's emotions a lot of space and you have to respect them and you have to listen hard and, and not panic and shy away from them or close them down. Um, you know, work patiently and try and build people's understanding, um, you know, without necessarily wasting, plowing a lot of energy into a small group of real cynics and resistors. You know, there's not always a lot of value in trying to tackle that. Um, but working with the majority. Yeah, so there, clearly in some change projects, there reaches a point where perhaps you have to move ahead despite resistance yeah. that you come up against as well. So how, how do you face, I wouldn't say face down, but how do you try to push projects along when there is resistance? Say, for example, you know, people's jobs have been relocated to another location and they don't want to move, for example, something which I'm sure within the BBC has has been uh, the case in recent years where people have moved to Salford, for example, or moving to other places. Indeed, how, do, how do you handle something like that? That's a topical one at the moment. I mean, I mean, that particular example is very difficult. You know, when you're asking people to not just change the way they work, but potentially to, you know, uproot their families, ask their partner to, to reconsider their career and where they're working, what they're doing, think about children or, or other dependents, then, you know, that's that's a scale of change that, that you know, is going to boil down to personal choice every time. And that is particularly difficult. And, you know, in, to me, the only way to deal with that really is, is gently and, and empathetically. Um, if you need to make that move for business reasons, um, then trying to find other options and make those available to the people who aren't able to make a move. Uh, you know, whatever that option might be, moving into a different team that's staying in a location, you know, reskilling re and, and taking a different role, um, you know, offering a, a redundancy package or whatever might be available, but trying to give people a set of options and, and as broad a set of choices as you can is, I think, you know, in, in that particular example, it's the best thing to do. And, and to try and really um, help people understand the vision for that move and, and to bring it to life and to show the opportunities that exist. Um, and I think, you know, most of our, our journalists who, who moved to Salford, you know, didn't look back and, and Salford has a, a great culture and is a vibrant place and the community has, has you know, really expanded. The, the media city there is an incredible place to work. So, you know, these things, these things are always difficult in the moment, you know, ch you know, the change curve is real, the anger, denial, you know, if this is a change you can't make, you've got to make a difficult decision sometimes. And, and so you've just got to really try and support people through that. So we, we've talked a lot about, about change, um, uh, Charlotte. I want to ask, ask a maybe more personal question. How do you feel you react and deal with change? Well, we're all human, <laughs> you know, it's great when you're in control of it. Um, you know, I, I, I do enjoy change, you know, I can't, I can't lie, I mean, I wouldn't be in this job if I didn't, because I, I've I sort of 
I've seen a lot of people come in and work on a change project and enjoy it and then go back to the day job and, and breathe a big sigh of relief and, you know, tick that box, I'm not going to do it again. Um, and I seem to be a glutton for punishment. <laughs> so, so I do enjoy it, but I do still go through that change curve. And it's, um, you know, it's really interesting. Um, at the moment, I'm working with an, a network of, of journalists in, um, in news, you know, building a sort of a change network, which is something I always try to do in, in a major change, um, you know, really build some, some understanding with a group of volunteers who are, who are, you know, keen to get involved and, and try and work with them to improve communication in both directions, you know, into the change and the leadership and the project and then back out to the newsroom and the teams. Um, and early in that process, I ran a session on the change curve and sort of giving them some theory around how people respond to change. And, you know, I was about three slides into my training session when, you know, suddenly the change curve erupted and everyone was furious and shouting. And, you know, and I suddenly thought the training session is actually me being reminded that they're all on the change curve and I'm the one having the training experience. So, you know, um, change is hard for everybody, but, you know, some of us are, are maybe just a bit more excited by ridiculous challenges than others. <laughs> what can I say? I don't want to make myself sound like a mad woman, but I do enjoy it. Um, but I also go through the, that same emotion. You know, it is difficult when change happens and, you know, we all have to, I think when you're leading change, you have to always try and remember where you are on the journey um, and that it's not just understanding the responses of the people around you it's also thinking well where am I at the moment on this journey of change and is the way I'm feeling coloring this interaction so yeah I mean it it affects us all. I think also it's the nature of the business that in the 30 odd years that I've been in, involved in, in in journalism and now in my career with that change has been constant you know the, the, the broadcast been. industry has changed incredibly going back from you know, I started on, you know, typewriters, notepads, pens, shorthand, things like that, to where we get to today, it is, it is, you know, it, it changes content. And I, and I don't know about you, but I don't see that changing anytime soon. No, I don't think it will ever change. And, you know, often the change that you're trying to make in a, I find in a project or, or, or a department or an organisation, you know, the really fundamental change you're trying to make is to is to help build an environment in which people are comfortable learning testing experimenting and continually adapting because that is the norm change is the norm i mean there's no two ways about it and and if you can build a culture in your organization where people are open to that open to experimentation comfortable with the occasional failure um, and and really skilled at, at driving that conversation all the time and enabling people to innovate, then then you know that's the core change we all have to make. Is is failure important in some respects? Being able to accept failure is definitely important. Yeah, I mean, 
you know if you're testing and learning in a complicated in a complex environment you know you can't sort of pull some best practice or some ready-made solution off the shelf and implement it you've got to do some testing and experimenting and experiments by their nature often go wrong so you know I guess failing can drive growth and and new thinking or it can close down an avenue but what's important is you know, is being able to accept it and learn from it rather than sort of feeling defensive or, or you know, somehow that you, you're you going to be heavily criticised and, and and punished for it. You know, it, it, it's having the space to occasionally fail sort of creates the environment in which innovation can really succeed, I think. Yeah. So, Shashala, my final question, and it's a question I ask everyone on the podcast, what is it, if anything, that keeps you awake at night? what keeps me awake at night um that is a good question I think I think what keeps me awake at night is is really to do with the impact of change on people you know, it's it's not necessarily a particularly tangible thing, but, uh, you know, I spend my day-to-day interacting with people who are being impacted by change. Um, and so, you know, when I'm lying awake at night worrying, it's probably because things have got particularly tense or difficult or there's a group of, of people who are feeling particularly um, down about the change or struggling with it in some way Um, and you know trying to help people move through that and reduce anxiety is really sort of important to me to be honest and and that's what worries me the most Um, because what you don't want to do is make people's lives harder they're hard enough already at the moment you know and driving change in the middle of a pandemic with all the upset and uncertainty that that um, that that has brought to us is a, it's a big ask of people. Um, so you know, if I feel like the actions I'm taking or the work I'm doing is having a negative impact, then yeah, yeah, that's when I lie awake trying to work out how to do it differently. I'm sure you're not alone in that, Charlotte. Everyone I know in the industry is constantly striving to do things better. Another really interesting chat there, and thanks to Charlotte Eimer for joining us. Now, don't forget, you can get in touch to let us know what you think. I'm on social, CraigAW1969 on both Twitter and Instagram, or you can email us. We are at makingthemedia at avid.com. Why not check out the show notes for more detail on story-centric workflows, a key driver for change these days, and also hear from Bobby Hain, the Managing Director of Broadcast at STV in the UK, for his views on adapting to change in another podcast episode. That's all for now from me, Craig Wilson. Thanks for listening. Thanks to our producer, Rachel Haberman. Join me next time for more behind-the-scenes discussion about the news industry in the next episode of Making the Media. Making the Media